Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Amos 6, 1 through 14. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Amos in your Bible. Alas for those who are at ease in Zion, and for those who feel secure on Mount Samaria, the notables of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel resorts, cross over to Kalna and see, from there go to Hama the Great, And then go to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is your territory greater than their territory? O you that put far away the evil day and bring near a reign of violence. Alas for those who lie on beds of ivory and lounge on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the stall. Who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David, improvise on instruments of music, who drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first to go into exile, and the revelry of the loungers shall pass away. The Lord God has sworn by himself, says the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. If ten people remain in one house, they shall die. And if a relative, one who burns the dead, shall take up the body to bring it out of the house and shall say to someone in the innermost parts of the house, is anyone else with you? The answer will come, no. Then the relative shall say, hush, we must not mention the name of the Lord. See, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be shattered to bits and the little house to pieces. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow the sea with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison, and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in Lodabar, who say, Have we not by our own strength taken care name for ourselves? Indeed, I am raising up against you a nation, O house of Israel, says the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall oppress you from Labo Hamath to the Wadi Arabah. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I, I, I love humor. I love being able to joke and cut around. I love being able to talk to people. I love people watching. I love going to the mall, and I'll just sit there while Celia shops, and I'll just watch people. And if she goes to the store, I'll let her go inside, and I'll sit there in the car and watch. I just love watching people. You know, who's been in an argument? Who's in love? You can really, you know, make up all kinds of stories as you go along. Another thing I love is Scripture. You know, scripture is just so important. Kind of reminds me of the story of a, of a pastor who was getting ready for the morning worship service, and he was in the sanctuary, and all of a sudden the doors burst open, and one of his mothers of young children came running in. She said, Pastor, he did it. He did it. He, he memorized the Scripture verse. The pastor was so excited. He said, well, he, what did Johnny, what did, what, did he, what, what did he memorize? And he was thinking of something serious like John 3.16 or in his heart he probably knew it was something like Jesus wept. But, you know, he was trying to figure out what it was. And mother said, no, it wasn't anything like that. Of course, oh, it would help if I turned it on. It wasn't anything 
anything at all like, like that. That wasn't it. Anything at all like that. It was, it was this, Luke 24, chapter 24, verse 41. Do you have anything to eat? And before you go grabbing your scriptures and turn to see what it's about, this is a chapter where we have the road to Emmaus. And Jesus, after he breaks bread, he disappears. And they run back and they burst into the room. We've seen him, we've seen him. And as they're talking, uh, Jesus appears in their midst. And they're terrified and afraid. And Jesus says, why are you terrified and afraid? It is me, look. And shows them the scars. And they are still afraid. He says, do you have anything to eat? And he takes the fish and he eats it. You know, scripture is, is very important. Everything we've talked about so far kind of leads us into Amos. Amos is going to be asking us some questions. He's going to be asking us questions like, do you enjoy the things that you're comfortable with to the exclusion of others? Do you do things that make you comfortable? You dress a certain way thinking that, that you're going to be comfortable? Are you focused on yourself? Do you take scripture and you twist it and warp it to make it something that is pleasing for you? Or do you focus on God? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. And as we reflect on it, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to understand. Challenge us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. When we come to chapter 6, we find out that Amos is continuing to preach. Amos is, uh, it, it, the book of Amos is a series of visions and prophecies. Uh, visions and prophecies speaking about the attitude and actions of people. And he doesn't really say anything new. I don't know if you're like me. I just, I hate to talk to somebody and they'll say, well, I didn't learn anything new. And in that case, in Amos, though, we could actually say that because he's continuing to say some of the same things. But now he's letting us know why. Why is Amos so upset? What is it that is driving Amos? Well, to understand that, we have to go back 200 years. You might remember King David brought the kingdom together and then he wanted to build a temple for the Lord and God said, no, you're a man of war. I want someone, uh, your son is going to do it. Solomon came, Solomon built the temple, beautiful temple. But then after the reign of Solomon was over with, after Solomon died, the kingdom fractured. And you had Judah to the south and Israel to the north. And, and so you had the two different kingdoms. And so King Jeroboam, who is king in the north, king of Israel, became all of a sudden very concerned. He was concerned because the people were still going back to Jerusalem to worship. Look at what he says here in 1 Kings. He says, Then Jeroboam said to himself, Now the kingdom will revert to the house of David. If this people continue to go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, 
the heart of his people will turn again to their master. King Rehoboam of Judea will kill me and return, and the people will return to King Rehoboam of Judea. He becomes concerned. He says, if the people keep going back to the temple, they're going to want to be with the people back there. This is where they worship. This is what they do. So he, he decided to change things up. Look at what he does. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. He said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people who went to worship before the one at Bethel and the other one as far as Dan. So he looked at what was happening and he said, if the people continue to go to Jerusalem, then they're going to want to unite the country under one king and they're going to kill me. And so he built two temples to rival the one in Jerusalem. The one in Bethel, which is almost exactly 10 miles north of Jerusalem, and the one at Dan, which is on his northern border, so that the people could go to whichever one was closer. But it's, look at what he does. He takes two calves of and he creates an image and he sets it up before them. And he says, this is your God. He's beginning to warp the worship of Israel. Now, you, you might remember back to Moses. I remember when Moses went up on the mount to receive uh, the Ten Commandments. He was gone for a long time. The people became really concerned. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what had happened to him. Maybe he died. We can't go on the mountain. If we touch it, we're going to die. We're, we're afraid. And so what did they do? When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt? We do not know what has come become of him. And what does Aaron do? Aaron asks them to bring all of their gold, and he makes a calf of gold. And he sets it before them. And then he says, tomorrow there will be a feast to the Lord. So he's giving them something in the place of God, something that they can hold on to. The same thing is happening to the people of Israel. It happened 200 years before Amos came onto the scene. Their worship had become warped. It had become twisted. Their eyes were taken off of God Almighty and placed on the secular realm. God had said, you will go to my temple and worship. God had people set up, the tribe of Levite. They were going to, the Levites were going to be the ones who were lead the people into worship. Jehovah is just changing it all. God was not happy. 
We go back to, to Amos, and, 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 or, or to 1 Kings, and we look at what Jehoram did. He, he also made high place, houses on high places, and, and he anointed priests from all among the people. Stop there for a moment. Houses on high places doesn't mean that he actually built a house up above. It means that when he built these temples... The one in Jerusalem had only one altar. He put multiple altars so that there could be multiple, multiple things going on. Sacrifices could be happening all over the place. The people could be filled with comfort. God had said, as I said before, God had said only the tribe of Levi would be the ones who would be my priests. And he set them apart. He sanctified them, set them apart for that service. Jehovah said, no, we're going to take from all people, all tribes. It doesn't matter who you are. If you want to do it, you can. It's interesting to note that Jehovah comes from uh, the, the tribe of Ephraim. Hosea chapter 8 verse 11 says this, Ephraim has made many altars to sin and made priests of the lowest of the people. So he's twisting everything around. Jehoram appointed a festival on the fifth day of the eighth month, like the festival that was in Judea. He said, not only are we going to have these temples, and not only are we going to have these golden calves for you to worship to, but we're going to do everything just like they're doing in Jerusalem. You can come here and offer your sacrifices. You can come here and worship God, and we're going to continue the things that are happening at the temple in Jerusalem. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. And so he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. He begins to warp the worship of God. And that is why Amos is so upset in chapter 5. Think about some of the things he said in, in, in chapter 5. He tells the people to seek him. In chapter 5, verse 5, seek me and live. In chapter 5, verse 6, seek the Lord and live. Chapter 5, verse 14, seek good, not evil, that you may live. In verse 15, hate evil, love good. It may be that the Lord God of hosts, some versions say the Lord God Almighty, will be gracious to, and some versions say have mercy on, the remnant of Joseph. Understand what you're doing, people. Turn your eyes away from that. Come back to me, and maybe God will have mercy on you. And that's why he says in verse 21, I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Some versions say your assemblies are a stench to me. You might remember in the temple when the sacrifices were made, they lit the incense and the incense went up. And, and in scripture, we see over and over again, God saying that their prayers, just like that incense, are sweet smelling to him. And God says, this is not the case. Because you have warped what you were supposed to be doing. You've taken your eyes off of me and you've placed them somewhere else. And God is not happy. You might remember in Exodus chapter 20, God was very clear. 
He told the people, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You will not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and who keep my commandments. People had forgotten all of that. In essence, what they were doing is they had fallen into something that was comfortable for them. And they looked at their actions and their attitudes and they said, you know what, we're worshiping. We're doing the same festivals. It really doesn't matter. But they had taken their eyes off of God. And it's at this point we come to Amos chapter 6. Amos chapter 6 begins this way. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. At this point, he's talking to Israel. And who feels secure on Mount Samaria, Judea. The word complacent means you're showing smug or uncritical satisfaction for yourself or for the achievements that are accompanied by an unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. In other words, you've become asleep. And, and, and the, you're secure on Mount Samaria. You're looking at those high places and, and, and you're looking at the temples that you have. And you think that because you're doing certain things, you're going through the motion, God is going to bless you and God is going to protect you and God is going to take care of you and will always be with you. But Amos says that's not the case. He says something is coming your way and it's going to destroy you. And that's why in verses four through six, he says this. He says, alas for those who lie on beds of ivory and lounge on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David improvise on instruments of music and who drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with finest oil. Now let's stop there for a second. In what we just read, there's nothing inherently wrong with what they're doing. Those actions by themselves are not wrong. But look at what they're doing. They're lying on beds of ivory, beds of wealth. They lounge on their couches. The people at this time, all the way up through the time of Paul, when they ate, they reclined at a table they laid back on couches. And so they're, 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 they're being comfortable on themselves, showing off their wealth, and they're constantly lying around the table, never getting up. The imagery is that there's food on the table that just keeps coming and coming, and, and they're just indulging themselves. They don't want to leave from their couches. They eat lambs from the flock and calves from the stall. They're eating the choices of meat. Now, the poor people, they sleep on beds of straw or a mat that's thrown on the floor. 
They don't have time to lounge on couches. They have to go out and work. And, and, and if they eat meat at all, it's at one of the festivals. They usually have fish, but it's mostly vegetables that they eat and figs and olives. They don't eat choice meat. Who sing idle songs. They sit around with so much time on their hand that they sing songs that are idle. They mean nothing. Think of David. David sang songs before the Lord. The Psalms, or or most of them, are, are, are a collection of songs that were sung to the Lord. Here they're not singing to the Lord. They're just making noise. Who drink wine from bowls. Now, you might be thinking of a cereal bowl or maybe a mashed potato bowl. But these bowls give you the imagery of these big bowls. They're the bowls that that they have underneath the altars to catch the blood of the sacrifice in. They take these huge bowls and they have so much choice wine. They fill them and they just drink. And the wine just goes everywhere. And they anoint themselves with the finest of oil. They, They just lather themselves up now again, it, it's excessive. We would probably never do anything like that. But that in and of itself is not what is getting the attention of God. It's this, but they are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. There's the imagery here that the rich people are leading the charge in the worship that is going on. And in so doing, they are leading people away from God. And God is upset. He says, you're doing all of this stuff for yourself and you're not concerned about those around you who are poor, who are needy. Pastor Jason has been picking up this theme over and over again because Amos speaks about it over and over and over again. He, he, he talks about how, how we need to be careful and we need to be mindful and we need to, to, to remember the things that are, that are going on and, and yet they're not doing it. What is God's desire for those with wealth? Well, think about what Moses said. Look, look at Deuteronomy 15, verse 10. Now, Moses is talking about the poor in their midst. And he says this, You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in all that you undertake. God had told his people, you need to be concerned about those who are poor. Not just guzzling it all and focused on yourself and leading the people astray in worship. You should be doing what I have told you to do. And in fact, in the Bible we read about King Josiah. He says this, he judged the cause of the poor and the needy and then it was well. Is this not to know me, declares the Lord. King Josiah was the uh, the 15th king. And he led the people through religious reform and he brought the people back to God. 
And in doing so, he was doing what God wanted him to do. And so Amos is upset. Amos is, is talking about, about all of this that's going on, and, and he's, he's pointing out that, 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 that the people are doing what is wrong. And, and a lot of people will take this particular passage, or they'll take passages like this in Amos, and they'll say God is speaking against capitalism, or God is using this to, to talk about liberation theology, and that's not the case at all. He's not putting us against each other. He's not saying this is a rich versus a poor thing. He's putting everyone on the very same playing field. And he says, we all are accountable to God. All of us. And we see that in verse 11 of Amos 6. It says, see the Lord commands and the great house will be shattered to bits and the little house to pieces. The great house, they're the rich people. The little house are the poor people. And when Assyria is going to come, and Assyria is going to come in 40 years and bring judgment upon the people, just as Amos is talking about, and when Assyria comes, they're going to go after the rich people first. And that makes sense. You would go after those with power and those with money and those, those with wealth. You want to take them and then the poor you'll go back and you will get. You can round them up. And he says both the rich and the poor will be held accountable because both of them are doing what they know to be wrong. And Amos is very clear that both of them know that what they are doing is wrong. Look at verses 8 through 10 of Amos 6. The Lord God has sworn by himself, says the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds. And I will deliver up to the city and all that is in it. If ten people remain in one house, they shall die. If a relative, one who burns the dead, shall take up the body and bring it out of the house and shall say to someone in the, in the innermost parts of the house, is anyone else with you? The answer will come, no. And then the relative will say, hush, we must not mention the name of the Lord. In other words, what he's saying is that when the destruction comes, and when people are taken into captivity, there are going to be a few left behind. And they will come and they will collect the dead. And they will take the dead to burn them. And when they take them out of the house, they will say, is there anyone else in here? And a person hiding in the back corner, in the darkest part of the house, will say, no, there's no one else here. Someone else will say, shh. The Lord might hear and know that we are still here and bring judgment upon us. They are concerned that judgment is coming on them. Why would judgment come upon them? Because they know that they are doing wrong. They are not worshiping as God wanted them to. They are focused on themselves. They're not reaching out to those who are less off. They're not being the people that God wanted them to be. The question then is, how are we to treat people? 
What is it that we are supposed to do? The Bible is filled with answers, but I love this one coming out of the book of Matthew. Jesus says this, Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? When was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, when you did it to the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. That is how we are to treat others. In other words, we're not to be focused on ourselves. We're not to worship as we want to. We're to do things God's way. That's what it means to be God's people. And so Amos, Amos is, is coming down on, on those around him. And he's saying, you are not being what God wants you to be. You're not living the way he wants you to live. You're not following what he has told you to do. You know, it's so easy so easy to decry the, the sins of other people or the actions of other people and to ignore the logjam that's in your own eye. So Amos was trying to get the people to understand you have to return to God. Does Amos speak to us today? The answer is, he sure does. And he asks us hard questions that we have to wrestle with. Questions we have to answer. The first one is this. Is my life really about the Lord? Is my worship really about the Lord? Or do I just go through the motions? Am I living for him the way that I should every day of my life? Or do I come to church and say, well, this is Sunday. I've got to be good on Sunday. And then Monday morning comes along and it's just like any other day. If so, then we're falling into the same trap that the country is falling into in the book of Amos. Do we come to worship and we say, oh, I'm going to worship now boy, that praise band, they better, they better sing songs that bless me. And that preacher boy, he better, he better, he better uh, not get on my toes. Or do I come saying, Lord, just speak to me and help me to learn and help me to know how I should act and what I should be. You know, when you come with a heart prepared, 
It's, it's amazing what God would do. I have been so surprised over the years when, when people come up to me and they say, Bill, you know, in your sermon you said this, and God really wrestled with me, and I'm thinking to myself, I never said that. But they came prepared, and God spoke to them. So the first question that Amos asks us is, what about us? How do we live our lives? The second question he asks is this, do I take advantage of other people? Especially those in need, especially when I could help them? Am I just thinking of myself? Am I lounging on my ivory bed? Am I drinking these big bowls of wine? Am I eating the choices of meat? Or am I really concerned about those around me? Am I doing everything I can to help others? Where is my focus in life? Third question is this, how about how much of my life is about the pursuit of unnecessary things? In Amos chapter 6, they were pursuing all of these things that were completely unnecessary. Am I doing the same? If I see my neighbor with a newer car, do I have to go out and get a newer car? If I see something over here that someone else has, does it challenge me to go out and do it? Am I pursuing things that will the Bible says, will rust and decay? Or am I putting up spiritual treasure in heaven that will be there forever? The fourth question that Amos asks is this. Do I run away from serving God in those hard and really messy situations? Sometimes it's easy to do. You look at Amos's life, Amos born poor, and yet God used him, an uneducated person, no training whatsoever. God used him to, to reach out and to point to the people what they were doing is wrong. Amos could have come up with all kinds of excuses and reasons not to go but he didn't. Question is, what about me? Do I serve God in those hard and really messy situations? Am I willing to get into the nitty gritty? Am I willing to roll up my sleeves? Am I willing to invest myself? Am I willing to do whatever it takes? Those are hard questions. They're questions that force us to to really think about who we are as a people and what we're doing in life and how we live for the Lord. And the thing is, our hearts have to be right with God if we're going to live the way Amos is trying to get us to live. And if our hearts aren't right with God, will never be there.
Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.